and I've started doing these breathing exercises like before the podcast. Yeah. Apparently the Navy SEALs use them, so this could be special. Yeah, yeah. We're, I'm about <laughs> to see something really, really big here. Anybody that wants to sell anything, all you have to do is put Navy SEALs use it, and it's like, oh yeah, how much do I owe, right? Yeah. Oh. If it's good enough for Jesse the Body Ventura, <laughs> it's good enough for me. Exactly, man. Exactly. <laughs> okay, that was fun. Hello, this is Boot Pit the Boardroom, a podcast about opportunity in agriculture. I'm Dustin Toberman, longtime ag veteran and founder of Omni Ag Consulting. And my name is Nick. I produce the podcast and ask questions. And today we're going to be talking about leadership. Uh, our focus is going to be on agriculture, but I think that the themes and principles we discuss today will have wide ranging application. Uh, but before we get started, Dustin, how have you been? I'm always well, Nicholas. It's always good to catch up. Uh, you know, I like to think that I'm uh, saving the world one new career at a time. Right. And that we, we continue to move forward. The market uh, continues to be hot for those seeking opportunity. And that's, that's what our focus is on right now. Absolutely. How about yourself? Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've, had some, I've had some time to enjoy the, the warming weather as we enter summer. Went out and, you know, went to a friend's property and he's got like this setup where we can watch movies outside. We watched Men in Black, which is a movie that we enjoyed as children, and it, it turns out it's pretty fun to watch as an adult, too. You went old school with Men in Black. That's right. But it was one of those blow-up screens, because I, I'm seeing the, a lot of those on social media where people are sitting up you know, uh, in their pool, their backyard, yeah. their street. I, I, I actually considered getting one of those, too. He's actually got, he's got this, uh, this canvas stretched across between two trees, mm. and, and they've got hammocks out there. And yeah, I mean, I live in the city. Uh, but but this sort of thing made me miss living out in the country for sure. I can imagine. And, you know, the thing is, if you were to put one of those up in the city, no telling what you're liable to encounter. So it's probably safer that you did it out in the country. You're right. You're right. Although <laughs> I, you would probably have uh, plenty of people just uh, walk up and, and join you, uh, which, which could be could be good, could be bad. That's sort of the positive and negative of living around lots of people. Having lived in the city, it is always a roll of the dice. Yes. Any encounter, you never know which way it's going to go. Yeah, I, I love it and I hate it. But I, I know there's a lot of important big things happening in agriculture. I flipped open my phone today. Um, I didn't really flip it open. I don't have a flip phone, but I, <laughs> oh, I unlocked my phone today and I saw that there is a merger, Bungie and Viterra. Can you tell me a little bit huge about deal. this merger and why it's such a big deal? It's huge. It's huge. You know, having been through several of these myself, uh, this is big. I mean, this was, was big news. I, you know, having come from uh, the former Gabalon and, and Bungie, I've got friends on both sides of the aisle. And it was particularly uh, a bit of a surprise with Bungie having just got rid of their grain assets, you know, in the last couple of years and, and looked like they wanted to make a shift and focus on their crush operation and, and their milling. And uh, so to jump back in, I mean, I, I think it makes sense for a lot of reasons. Almost a $20 billion deal. Uh, it's definitely going to change the landscape. They're, they're a player. So uh, for the rest of the agribusiness world out there, I know everybody's taking notice. And I, I think it's kind of a sign of the times. And I, I think you're going to see more of this. You know, okay. talking to my friends that are on the inside, I know there's a lot of emotions that go along with this kind of thing, but it's, it's big news. Yeah. So I, as I'm looking at this, I'm sort of wondering, uh, what are the distinctives that, that Bungie has and that Viterra have? And what does it mean for them to come together? How will this new organization be you know, more capable and, and ready to go? It's like uh, Batman and Superman joining forces, right? Okay. To dominate the world. It's a, it's a whole new world. And well, you know, with, with Bungie sold uh, their grain assets to CGB here a couple of years ago, right? That, that totally changed the dynamics and, and buying Viterra and their footprint basically is what they're buying. You know, their, their grain assets just expands their reach and it opens up a whole new world of trading for them. And it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. You know, these things take time. They, they made the announcement now, but gosh, it could be a couple of years by the time the, the Department of Justice dissects it all. And they're going to right. talk about, you know, facilities that you have to divest. And, and having been through that, that's a, that's a nerve wracking process and, and one that I, you know, I, I feel for their people. But you know what? Uh, there's always home for good people. So no matter how it shakes out, whether they decide to stay with the company or go somewhere else, I, I think ultimately change is good. If you look at it from the right perspective, you know, it's a big thing in the grain industry. It brings attention to our industry, but right. also for people, I think it opens up a lot of opportunity, and particularly for someone like myself that, that deals with those looking for a new career opportunity. That's a sweetheart deal. 
Well, and that's, I, I was sort of wondering if I could get a low calorie answer for the next question, because I think that this could be its own topic where we really dive into it. But as far as just generally speaking, what does this mean for people who are seeking opportunities in agriculture? And what does it mean for people who are on the ground at both of these companies? It's good and bad, right? It's a double-edged sword. There's always two sides to it. Again, it's all about perspective. I, I made a post about it yesterday and I, I happened to read one release that talked about business as usual. And right. I have to be honest, this is this might ruffle some feathers, but you know, having come from the inside of a couple of companies that had mergers like this, I can assure you it will be anything but business as usual, right? Sure. Uh, there, there's, there's always the unknown, right? Because you're, you're joining two large forces, you know, management styles, culture is always a big deal. It will create opportunity and it will also close some doors for a few people as well, right? Because ultimately these, these companies, you know, even though they say going in, Hey, we've got room for everybody. And, and trust me, I know because I've, I've been the guy doing that, you know, Hey, trust me, everybody's going to be well taken care of. And, and sure, that's true, depending on how you look at it. But the odds of them being able to actually bring everyone on board in the same role or in a similar role, similar role, you know, that's probably not likely. So there's going to be turnover. You know, there's going to be relocation involved, and that's going to you know make a few people have to pause and think about it. Do I really want to make a move? Am I at the stage in my career when I can up and uproot my family? Right? These are the things that you have to consider. So there's a lot of emotions involved, and uh, I think you know the the best advice that I could give anybody that's going through it is to just kind of take it all in stride, let things play out. Over time, the further down the road you get, you'll see the picture start to emerge. I think the worst thing you could do is probably just jump before you have an idea what's going on because okay. this thing is going to go back and forth a million different directions before it's done. Uh, so I, my, my best advice to anybody in this situation would be to you know, take it in stride and, and take it as it comes, keep an open mind, be open to new opportunities. But I, I, you're right. We could make a, a, a whole other podcast just about being a part of a merger. Well, shifting teams, changing roles, relocations. All of it is going to impact people's lives. And as far as the success of, of the, the new organization and moving forward, I would imagine leadership is going to play a huge, huge role. Huge. And it's so, isn't it ironic that that's our topic today? Because I, I can tell you this again, having been on the inside, I've seen it go good. I've seen it go bad. And I will tell you without a doubt, take my word for it, leadership is the difference. You know, you want to keep this thing together. You want to keep your team together. It's about leadership. When it's there, you you can get through this, right? It's like kind of whitewater rafting. You ever been whitewater rafting? I haven't. You know, I'm a Missouri boy, so uh, we <laughs> yeah. we take it slow uh, on on the float trips. Uh, yeah, but... well, I've been on the Current River, of course. Sure, I'm sure, yeah. you have as well. But uh, yeah, <laughs> nothing like whitewater rafting. But I think it's like that. You know, you're going to get through some rough spots and some parts that make you think, "Do I really want to be here?" But good leadership is going to help you navigate those waters. Right. Yeah. When, when there is when there is no leadership, it's trouble. And you want to talk about, you know, things, you know, uh, it's kind of like glass. You get one crack and next thing you know, the whole windshield shattered. I've, I've seen it happen. And leadership is the difference in how this thing's going to go. Well, our only constant in life is change. And it's, it's those leaders who can sort of anchor the team and make sure that they take it in the right direction. So it kind of leads to my first question on the topic of leadership. Why are leaders needed in an organization? And Specifically, what role do they play for operations? You know, I was thinking about information and, and you know, the topic that we're going to discuss today. There's, there's so many different types of leaders out there. And I think, you know, I, we always joke that if you, if you go to the internet and you, you read, you, you can get a million different angles and numbers saying something new every article you read. And there's, whether there's leadership and, you know, people consider politics or your church or community or, you know, schools or business, you know, it's all different. The context we're going to talk about today is, you know, strictly from the agribusiness perspective. But, you know, the way I see leadership is I look at my people as the engine that run the organization. Right. But leadership is steering. And if you've got to have somebody who knows what's going on behind the wheel, right, they've, they've got to have a feel for all the diagnostics involved, the engine. They've got to know that it's running smoothly. Is it overheating, right? Is there a, is there a short somewhere? And also those people can steer you in the right direction or they can drive you into a ditch. So, you know, that, that's why I think this is such a fascinating topic. I think that's a great image that you've conjured up there because really you could have a team of incredibly competent, uh, talented people, uh, but if, if they're led in the wrong way, that organization is going to suffer in spite of that. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, this, this is such a huge topic. This, I, I want to drop this from the very beginning because this, this is how important it is. I, I read a, a LinkedIn survey from last fall. Well, I'll ask you this. What would you yep. say would be the number one reason that people are leaving their organizations? 
Well, my first gut response would be to say that it has to do with pay and it has to do yeah, with life situations. Yeah, I, I would um, agree. I'm sensing a, a different direction though, potentially. <laughs> I, I would agree. That that was mine first. I would say that that comp would be would be number one on the list. Actually, the the reason was people leaving their jobs had to do with their leadership or boss. And and to take it even a step further, the rest of the list was things like a toxic environment or a toxic teammate or team member, poor communication, you know, from up above. They didn't see opportunity for advancement. And if you think about it, and, and low pay was on there as well, but if you think about it, these were all to me, areas that are subjects that fall under the leadership category, right? right? To me, leadership controls all these things. So, you know, you want to know how, how important it is? It's number one. And so when, and particularly when you look at organizations today and we talk, we hear about culture and, and all these companies, you know, after the great resignation, people are trying to keep their teams intact because people are willing to jump ship, you know, at a rate like we've never seen before. To me, it all boils down to leadership. That's how important this is. Well, right, because as I think about leadership and specifically how I interact with managers, it's not just, you know, that impact isn't just in that one-to-one. It's also happening as I work with other team members because they're getting direction from that manager and it's happening as I work with clients. So I see what you mean. It really impacts everything. Yeah. Yeah. If If you think about it, I've always said that I believe that organizations are living, breathing things. And I think one of the we, this this is a whole other topic, but I think one of the reasons we've gotten away from a lot of the, the culture and, and people aren't feeling this connection is because we've lost sight of that. First and foremost, we're human beings, right? We have emotions and, and we can talk all day long about, you know, whether or not you bring emotions into decision making. But the reality is, is that emotions play a part of that. Yes. And we've lost sight of that. And so because we're living and breathing, yeah, everything affects everything else, right? Like when, you're, when your foot hurts. Uh, you know, it, it can cause stomach issues. You have a headache and you don't want to exercise. All these things are, are kind of connected. And you're absolutely right. Your leadership and how you view them is going to affect how you not only do business with outsiders, with your customers, but also people within your organization. And it's like having an, an infection in your body that you can't get rid of. And it just seems to spread throughout. And that's, again, why leadership is so important. And we're talking about communication and teamwork and all these things that have a direct impact on your daily experience as you work. Another thing that I thought of was job security. At times where I've been working under uh, questionable management, I'm, I'm not sure that that job's going to be there for a number of reasons. Is the organization going to succeed? Is my role going to remain necessary because things could change at, at the drop of a dime? Yeah, think about your psyche, right? When you're focused on all those things instead of the opportunities that you might have as a, as a customer or, or, a, or an employee, all the interactions, you know, from you and, and your coworkers, think about how, how negatively that affects us. And instead of, you know, breathing positive energy throughout the organization and focus on how do we win, not how do I avoid getting laid off or getting let go. And, 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 and here's something, that, and I want to strike some emotion in you. So I want you to think back. When I, when I think, you know, how powerful my, the leaders in, in my life, particularly in, uh, as it relates to my career, have been. You get very, very strong emotions. I can tell you right now, thinking about some of my early managers, and I, you know, I got an ag a long time ago, 25 years ago. So when I say that these people are old school, I mean, these are your, your old school. I, I used to joke that my, my one manager, he was like the old grizzly, like Vietnam veteran, right? That he had right. seen it all. And, you know, he's used to seeing limbs torn off and he's, you know, he's smoking a cigarette, drinking coffee, and he never flinches. And those, those are the kind of managers that I had early on. But I think about, you know, how they made me feel. And even today, all these years later, I start to get kind of knots in my stomach, you know? You know, wow. it, 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 yeah. and, and so when you, and the reverse of that is, is that when I think about the best leaders that I've had, the leaders that I knew who had my back, even when I made a mistake and I said, I had to come to them and say, hey, I, I think I, I did something wrong. I bought grain at a wrong price. I quoted somebody something wrong. I, I didn't get the delivery date right. And I knew that they had my back. I think about the, the positive reinforcement that I felt and the emotion that I felt and the impact that it had on me and the confidence that it gave me and how I went about my day, you know, buying grain, dealing with employees, you know, it, it gave me the confidence to go out and be the best that I could be. And so when we talk about leaders and how important they are to an organization, it's the difference between winning and losing. Right. And, and you see how, how a, a bad leader negatively impacts not only that, that employee, or maybe, you know, but also your customers and, and your coworkers. Yeah. If we're going to think back on the best leaders that we've had and the worst leaders we've had, 
anyone listening to this, I mean, this might turn into a therapy session because, yeah, I mean, yeah. truly, it's like night and day for your experience because, and I've been in situations before where I didn't feel that anything I could improve was being communicated to me. Mm. I, I got the feeling that, you know, I, I'm not doing everything the right way, but I also wasn't able to ask questions because, you know, that was kind of frowned upon, looked down upon. So I think communication is a huge part of it too. Just that willingness to talk to your team and having a plan for them to improve and develop. It's so huge because when we communicate, we feel like we're a part of something, right? And that, that's one of the things that I used to do is that I took the strategy and I think perspective is big. You know, looking back at my career because I came from the barge and I was, you know, as low as a kid, if you had a totem pole, I'm, I'm the very bottom guy. That, that's where I started. And so, you know, having been that low, I understood what it meant to be working and not understand the, you know, what's the purpose here? Why am I doing this? You know, what's our schedule going to be like? And, and you really feel like an outsider. But, but to your point, good, good communication brings you in and you feel like you're an insider. One of the things that I used to do as a manager when I was still managing facilities was, and, you know, maybe some would disagree with this, but it was important for me to bring everyone in and make everyone feel that everything that they did affected the bottom line. And I know a lot of managers don't believe in sharing the P&L, you know, what, what do we make, what do we lose with outside employees? But because I was one, I appreciated it. And so I did, I shared it. So I would bring everyone in at the end of the month when, when we got our P&L and we said, okay, you know, we made, we made X, we lost X. And right. I would let them know. And, and because here's why, because if, you know, someone might look at the person dumping trucks, you know, and all they do is, is get a wrench and they, they crank it open and they open up the truck hoppers for corner beans and they dump it and they close it when it's done. And they would say, well, how does that person really affect the bottom line? Well, this is why, because I would tell them that, look, you know, we made really, really good profits this month. And the reason we did so is because you're opening up trucks faster than ever. And when you do that, that allows us to get in more traffic and do more business. And I can buy more grain because you're dumping it faster. And that, that takes someone who, who looks at their own position and says, yeah, I'm, I'm just somebody who dumps trucks. I'm in a dump pit. You know, I'm, I make, you know, just a couple bucks an hour. Instead, to, to, to realize I'm a part of this thing. And so you want to talk about how to get buy-in, that all comes from leadership. And just, just a simple thing like that, sharing, you know, sharing what they mean to the organization as a leader changes the, the entire dynamics of the facility. And I would do that with everyone, whether it was someone loading a barge or a train, heck, the person that cuts the grass, right? This is all important because, because producers, you know, farmers feel good about coming to our facility because it's so nice, because they care about their trucks and their equipment. Right. You do such a great job taking care of the facility. They want to come here and they want to be a part of what we have. Right. So I, don't, I don't care how insignificant the, the position is. A good leader makes everybody feel a part of it. Right. Because you need all those parts moving to make things work. Absolutely. You know, we're going to start, I think, negative because I want to end on a higher note. Tell me about the worst manager, worst leader, boss you ever had and what that was like. I got to tell you, I, that's who I was thinking of a, a minute ago. And even telling, telling this story, and I, I won't mention any names, but I get knots in my stomach right now. You know, I was in my mid-20s. I had relocated for the company. knew no one there. You know, we talked about our, our podcast before about you know, how lonely it can get when you're transferred to a new area. And I knew no one. And so all I had was people at the office. And as you know, I'm a communicator as well. I right. enjoy engaging with people and, and talking to people and listening to their day. And I'm, I'm, I've always believed in saying hello when I see someone. I, I'm a big believer in looking someone in the eye and saying hello and just asking them, hey, how's it going today? How's your day? Particularly when they work for you. I think it's, it's so important. But anyway, I used to sit at my desk and this, this particular manager had to pass by my desk every single morning on the way to their office. And I would get knots in my stomach every morning because I would get so geared up to try to say something to get a response. I would say, good morning. Hey, hey, did you see this game? Hey, you know, we're going to have a big day today. And this person would look at me and walk right by and go straight to their desk without saying anything. And I used to, I used to under, underneath my desk, I bet if we were to go back there to this day, you could see my finger marks underneath this wooden desk yes. and I would squeeze it. And I swear I could, I could hear the wood starting to splinter because it, it made me so mad. I would go outside and I would scream in my truck because it, it, it just, there's just, I, I crave that connection and I could not get it. And this is somebody you work for. Yeah, and, and it's a humiliating experience because oh, cool. yeah, I, I absolutely can, I can relate directly to this because I was in a in a management program uh, to train to be a a manager of of like college facilities, right? 
This was earlier in my life. Obviously, I did not follow that career path. I am producing a podcast with you today, but I I was excited about it. Obviously, it was a great opportunity for me. Early on, I was connecting with everyone on the team. And even though I was a young guy, I was connecting with the the folks on the team. I had a good relationship with our electrician, uh, with our maintenance guys, and I thought things were going well. But the manager who was supposed to be in charge of my training uh, decided at some point that he didn't like me. And I'm not sure exactly why. There were a lot of moments why that might have been. But I remember going to work, getting there at 7 a.m. And yeah, I would would walk up and ask what's going on and and no response. I mean, it's very (sighs) obvious what was going on there, right? The worst. And, uh, and, And, you know, I found out later that there was someone else that he wanted in that in, in that trainer position. I didn't know about that. Uh, we never had a performance review throughout the whole time. Of course. Shocker. Yeah. I mean, he was clearly not happy with me, but I wouldn't have known exactly why. You know, there was a time when I had earned my, my vacation days. I, I picked my vacation day very carefully. Obviously, I didn't want to be away from work when something important was going on. And, you know, he asked me what I was doing. And it turned out I was going to a friend to a, a comic con. Uh, now this is I'm this familiar. Is a, yeah, you know it's a, it's a pop culture convention. Not Big my deal. favorite thing to do these days, but at the time it was fun and it, it was something to do. And uh, you know that rubbed him the wrong way. Like, how dare you be a nerd? You know, I, I don't know exactly what it was. You know, maybe right. maybe I try to imagine some origin story for him where he had a Spider-Man comic and his dad, you know ripped it up or ripped something it, of course there, there is some kind of trauma somewhere <laughs> hidden in there. I, I guarantee and i'd love to unpack yeah. it someday if we could we could go back and find this individual but just some of the things you mentioned i i even feel an emotional response to that to all the listeners out there you can imagine right when someone's in a situation like that as an employee how could they possibly be productive i mean just hearing you talk about you know he's upset you know if he doesn't respect me he didn't like where i was taking my vacation there was no communication who would be productive and, right. you know, which begs the question, how do some of these people land leadership positions? So how, how, did, how did it end for you there? How did your time in there? I'm curious. Well, that's the thing. Like, I, I found ways to be productive and I, I found ways to learn. And I spent a lot of my time just with members of the team. But eventually, of course, I, I left the company uh, and followed other opportunities because I wasn't getting the, the training I was expecting. And, you know, I, I had another opportunity that came up. And, of course, I took it because... I was miserable at work. And, you know, you bring up such a great point. You know, you took it and you found a way. So that's, that's a testament to you, right? And, and just your, your willingness to fight and tend to be successful, which kudos, because I know how hard that is. I stuck it out too. I really did try to stay, but uh, yeah, it just didn't work out in the end. And it was something that totally changed my perspective on, on leadership and management. It absolutely does. I, I even made a post about it not long ago that I learned more from the worst manager that I ever had than anyone else I've ever worked for, even the best managers. Because right then and there, I said to myself, and I had no idea where my career was going to go. I was was just a a low low merchandiser. You know, who knew where I was going to wind up? I was in a strange town. How long am I going to be here? What's going to be my family situation? No idea. But I made up my mind at that moment. I said, if I ever have the opportunity to have anyone work underneath me, I will never treat people this way. And it was a great lesson for me. And I, and I tell you, I, I learned something else too, because I'm going to give you a story. And this is, this is true. Young leaders, I want you to listen to this too. There was an incident that happened. And uh, in this particular case, the person at the dump pit, I'm really letting people behind the curtain here. That's you right. Know, if I should share this. The dump but I'm pit. going to, we're, we're very real, man, on the boot pit to boardroom. We, we right. keep it real. So uh, this individual had made a mistake at the dump pit and they dumped beans into a cord bin. And uh, they had come to me. I was a merchandiser. They had come to me and they said, listen, I, I, I made a mistake. And I said, well, you know, you really need, need to let the manager know. And they said, nothing good is going to come of that. Mm-hmm. And, and we, we got to talking. And, and this was a, an older person, somebody who had been in the ag industry for 40 years. And, and they told me okay. something else that I learned in this situation that I'll never forget. They said, you know, people that rule out of fear, when you, when you rule with an iron fist and people respond out of fear, they only do it when you're looking. But when you have someone, when you respect someone, you do it when they're not looking. And that, that really hit home to me, right? That somebody who respect a leader would go to them and be able to say, hey, listen, I made a mistake. But when you've got a poor leader, why, why is somebody going to share something with you? That, particularly when they made a mistake, because they know they're only, you know, there's, there's nothing good that can come of it. 
And so I, again, I made up my mind right there that I want to be the type of leader that people, you know, I hold people accountable, but people aren't afraid to come to me and, and to communicate. And I would always be willing to listen, you know, to someone else's side of it. And, and that stuck with me. I've used that my entire career. And I think it served me well when I, when I look back at, at my time, you know, as, as a leader and as a manager. And uh, it absolutely changed my life. And, and I, I'm with you. And, you know, when you think back to those emotions, how strong they are, think about on the flip side of that, how, how good things can be when somebody's in a yes. positive situation, right? That's the key thing is that we often talk about the negative side of, of, of bad leadership. What about the, the positive side of good leadership? That's where I want us to focus our attention on. And I think going forward, you know, when leaders, that's why it's so important when leaders choose, I'm sorry, when organizations choose these leaders, look, th this is your, the future of your organization depends on this. I'm picking good leaders. It's so important. Well, and the flip side of that bad leader isn't necessarily someone, or I should say, it is not someone who doesn't care. It isn't someone who is just fine with you messing up. It's someone who you know cares deeply, but will push forward in a, in a positive way to make changes, to develop, to prevent stuff from happening again, and to encourage you that you can do it the right way next time. Absolutely. Again, it's not, and I want to be clear about that. You, you, you nailed it. It doesn't mean that you're a pushover and anything goes. I once, once had another grizzly veteran that worked for me as, as a superintendent when I was at a facility and this dude was old school and he was hardcore. And, uh, you know, if, if people would come to me, my workers would come to me and say, Hey, listen, you know, uh, I need to be late tomorrow morning. I you know, breakfast with my child uh, at school day. And I would always say, yeah, mm -hmm. sure. We can work around things like that. Family is important. And he would always pull me in the back and say, you're letting the inmates run the asylum. And I think that really shows the difference in the two worlds, right? And, and I might've come up in that time and that might've been okay. But even then I knew that there was something wrong with that because I, I've just always looked at people as people first. And if I could work around a situation or adversity, you know, we, we would, that was my goal as a leader. And I felt I owed it to my people. And I felt like I got that back in return, but that's the difference in, in personalities then versus now. And I'm, I'm here to tell you, take that approach now and you're not going to have anybody left. Uh, it's right. just, it, it doesn't work. And with, well, it turns with out this generation, I, I, it's failing. Very few people want to work in an asylum as inmates. They, yeah. they want to work. They want to work. <laughs> Nobody's in a checking in on purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's the, the main point of all this is that you, we've got to see people as people first, right? Before they're employees, they're, they're human beings. And, you know, I think when we talk about, you know, I, I look at all these podcasts and I, you look at social media, everybody's trying to figure out culture and how do we get people back in, in the, in the seats? Well, first of all, you got to make people want to come back. You know, I just I just read a, a CEO kind of was making uh, some waves by saying, you know, letting people work remote was a mistake and they're not productive. And I, I think by taking such a hard stance on that, I think it's a, I think that's a mistake. First and foremost, what do you do to get people to want to be there? Right? You can't just say, oh, you know, because you're sitting in your cubicle and we happen to be within two or three feet of each other. That that's culture. You know, what are you doing to promote that culture, making people want to be a part of your organization? And that's that's so huge. And that's why, you know, it's so important how, how we pick these people. And this is something that's always shocking to me. When you think about it, I've managed a lot of people in my time. I've hired a lot of managers. I've worked for a lot of managers. But it, when you think about how we typically get them, it's usually by default, right? You know, yes, I've taken management seminars. Some, some I, I feel like have been very worthwhile. Some I feel like have been a waste of time. But very rarely do people, you know, get some kind of extra training. Typically, it's by default. Hey, you're the person that's been here the longest. You know, you, you hear the old expression, next person up. Here you go. Now you're a manager. And so we expect all of a sudden that now you're, you're supposed to just take off and be a great leader. I don't think as organizations, we do enough to prepare our people early on. And that goes all the way back to the beginning of the people that we hire. You know, we talked about this in our interviewing process. I may be looking to fill a position, but if I don't have the right perspective on who am I trying to hire, because someday I want to, I want to think beyond the position of today, I'm trying to hire tomorrow's leaders. And that's, that's a, I think, a point that a lot of us miss out on when we, when we make these hires. Right. It's more than just about understanding who steps into that role. It's about preparing them for it. So, you know, how, how is that done today? What, what are some good examples of how leaders are prepared today? And then what do you think the agriculture industry should do to improve this process? I, I think that going all the way back, take it all the way back to the interview process. I think that's really where it begins, right? And one of the things we, we talked about on our previous podcast about interview is, is the types of engagement and questions we're, we're looking for. And I think that for a long time, we were really hung up on, I think all industry was, I think corporate America was hung up on the little things like, hey, what's your GPA coming out of school? You know, where did you go to school? Talk right. to me about your internship. Who are your parents, right? Things like that, right? 
instead of really getting to know the people that we were bringing on board. I've seen, and I'm sure you have too, just because you've got great numbers doesn't necessarily mean that you connect with people. And I think if there would be one thing that I would say as the predictor of success as a leader, it's someone who has emotional intelligence and who can make that connection. Because again, we're all, we're all employees. And, and, and here's, here's an example of that. As a leader, you know, we, we like to think in, in terms of black and white. Hey, this is right. This is wrong. But I'm telling you, as, as a manager, you're going to be dealing far more uh, with situations that, are, that fall in a gray area, right? Right. Hey, everybody's supposed to clock in at six o'clock in the morning. If not, you get so many demerits and you're out of here, right? Well, what if you're a great employee? What if, uh, you know, you stayed last night until two o'clock in the morning when everybody else went home, but you asked me if you could come in a little bit later today so that you could get your kids off to school? Now, the, the handbook may say, well, you know, I'm sorry, everybody's got a clock in at six, but there's always that gray area. And so as a leader, am I really going to penalize somebody who went above and beyond for me? Or am I going to try to return the favor a little bit? Because I, I'm a big believer that, you know, you get what you give. And so I think those are things that we don't talk enough about. I think when we look at leadership training, other than just saying, hey, here's the title, right? I, now you've got the name tag and I change your business cards. What are we really doing as organizations to prepare them? And I think it starts with just a lot of these kind of conversations with putting people in these scenarios, real life scenarios, right? Things that we deal with every day. I think these are a great example. You know, how you see somebody respond in a social setting is going to give you a pretty good idea on how they're going to respond, you know, to adversity in their career. And I think that's a great place to start. Who are we hiring? Do they have emotional intelligence? Do they have the ability to make that connection? Because not everybody does. So you're talking about identifying the traits that could make up a good leader eventually. And I think that makes a lot of sense once you identify those folks. What do you do next? You know, how is, a, a, is the next manager up trained? Is there a shadow program? What do you see that's, that's worked well? Training, yeah. And, and I think training, you know, people a lot of times when they hear training, you know, sometimes they're, they're, they're just turned off immediately because they think, oh, I've got to go into this big program and I've got to have a handbook and this is going to take time away from the office and I'm going to send people all over the country. Look, let, let's just take it down to the, the nuts and bolts here. Training could be bringing somebody in. You know, the book, one of my favorite books, Legacy, about the, uh, the New Zealand All Blacks, but also there are a lot of uh, business you know, connections in there that they talk about being willing to pass the ball. And training in, in this scenario, I think, is as simple as letting young people shadow veterans in the industry, not just anyone, but those that are successful and those that get it and those that are good for your organization. And I think, you know, letting them be a part of it. So instead of looking at somebody and saying, you know, Nicholas, you've only been with us for six months, you know, I, I can't bring you in on this meeting. Why not? Right. If, if we trust them as an employee, don't we want to prepare them for someday when they've got to make this call? And so bringing them in and asking them, hey, what do you think? Right. Do you have anything to add? And maybe it's just as simple as them sitting there, just taking it all in and seeing how people interact. But I think that's really where it starts, right? It's, it's almost like, you know, why are we covering up our answers, right? This isn't a test. We mm. want to elevate our people. And, you know, to me, that was always something that was one of the reasons I knew that I wanted to get into this was of all the, all the many hats that I wore and all the different duties that I had in, in my role, you know, in management. One of the things that I realized was, was I took more enjoyment and felt more fulfilled by elevating my teammates, and watching them have success, even over my own, because I felt like I won when they won. And so, you know, oftentimes even to, uh, you know, my own detriment that I would, I would elevate someone above myself. And so I think that's really what it's all about. So if, if we want to elevate our people, we want to get them to the next level, why aren't we doing more to bring them into the fold and to share things instead of looking at someone's title and saying, you haven't been here long enough, you don't have the right clearance, we can't talk about these things. And I, I think it's as simple as that. I, yeah, I, I think what you're talking about is getting people to think in that leadership mindset before they're necessarily in the role because they have the information. They see what's going on at that level. I wanted to ask a couple difficult questions, I think. So as you've seen young leaders take positions in companies, whether they've done well or poor, what are some common areas of lack that you've seen, like some, some tough challenges as people become leaders? Such a great question, Nicholas. And, and, and I tell you, right off the top of my head, I think the biggest mistake, and I've seen a lot, I, well, even I've put a lot of young people, young trainees in management positions. In the, in the ag world, sometimes by default, we don't have a choice, right? Somebody might have been with us for six months. Certainly, they don't have the training to run a facility, but because of turnover or you know, other management decisions, you, know, you, you have to put someone at the wheel. Here you go. Good luck. Well, I remember mine, just going back a little further, I remember my first facility I got, the manager left, 
I got a call on a Thursday. He'd be here on Monday. The regional uh, manager gave me the keys and said, good luck, right? This wow. is it. And, and so, you know, I, I would, I would avo- try to avoid that if you could. Uh, but, but anyway, I think it's one of the biggest mistakes that I, I see young people make is that they feel like they've got to come in. The, the expression I always use is there's a new sheriff in town. Mm. And I think it is the worst possible move you could ever make. And I have seen it firsthand. When I've put young people in positions of authority, whether they be leading a team or are managing a facility or a position, anytime you come in and say, hey, you know, there's a new sheriff in town. Now it's my way or the highway. You talk about turning your people off. Nothing is going to turn people against you faster. And they'll actually be rooting against you. So that, that's something that I would warn young people getting into leadership for the first time is that don't make the mistake of thinking you have to come in and, and reinvent the wheel. In fact, in the very beginning, when, when you can, when necessary, sit back and observe. I think that would be the first thing to do is just try to get a feel for the flow of things. Right. Because the, the answers are going to come to you eventually. People are going to step to the forefront, right? People that, that you can, you know, resources you can use, people that you can count on, people that you can trust. All those things are going to make their way to the surface. The worst thing you could do is come in and alienate the very people that can help you. And so when I think about the biggest mistakes, I would say that it's, it's definitely, there's a new sheriff in town, guns ablazing, it's my way or the highway. And somehow you have to maintain some level of humility, and yet you're still directing traffic. You know, you're still asking pretty big things of, of people on your team. So that aspect of it, establishing yourself as a leader right out the gate, uh, you've talked about some wrong ways to do it. What are some approaches people can take to establish themselves as a leader on a team, and, and how do they do it in a way that gets buy-in? You nailed it. I think the word you used is humility. I use that word myself because someone, it, it takes someone who's humble to admit, I don't have the answers uh, and I don't know. And one of the things that I used to share with young people when I would you know, be bringing them into the fold as a new manager is I would say, sometimes people, particularly somebody, you know, there's nothing harder than a, a young person managing someone who's been there longer than they've been alive, right? And that happens right. in the ag world, right? Like you might be fresh out of school, you're 22, 23 years old, and all of a sudden you're sent to a facility where somebody's been there for 40 years right? And now you're, you're managing them. And so some people will test you and they're going to ask you all kinds of questions. It's okay to say, you know, I don't know the answer to that because I would rather you say that you don't know than lie and be proven wrong. Because once that trust is broken, it's almost impossible to get it back. You know, they, they may come back around eventually, but it's, it's going to be a lot harder than if you were to just be honest. Transparency is huge, humble and say, you know, I don't know, but I'm willing to go find out and I will get you the answer you need. And that, that's how I would approach that. So I think humility uh, above all else, you know, realizing that, you know, I think the perspective, realizing that manage a team, managing a team is a responsibility, right? You owe it not only to the organization, but your people, because like it or not, their issues become your issues. And, and this is one of the things that, you know, I think that they don't teach enough in schools is that when you're managing people, you might not be a part of their family, but in a way you are, because every day, you know, I, I'm going to learn about people's lives. I know when their kids are sick, uh, you know, maybe they needed extra time off work. I know if they've got an ill relative or somebody who's going through surgery, you know, we, we had to have those discussions. Maybe they needed time away or they asked if they could change their hours. So in a way, you know, you become a part of that family. And putting in people that understand that and understand that there is a life outside of our work, those are the type of people that when they understand that, that's a powerful leader and people that are going to elevate your organization. So when I think about the good things, those are the things that I think about. And another thing that a manager has to do, in addition to connecting with people on a human level and acknowledging them as people, is a manager has to continually talk about performance. And that's another area where you can get hurt feelings, you get people sensitive. When I managed people in the past, I always tried to establish, we will talk about your performance, I will look at it, it does matter, but it's never about you're in trouble. I mean, unless it is, but you know, it's never really sure. about getting in trouble. It's about acknowledging where things can get better, and then acknowledging where you're killing it and, and doing a great job. One of the, the mistakes that I think a lot of leaders make is that we only talk about performance when it's review time or after there's been a move made that you know cost the company money. Why are we talking about it on a daily basis? As a leader, why am I not checking in with you and, and saying great job to the little things that you did? To me, it helps lessen the blow of when there's a mistake and we have yes. to talk about how to fix it and make a correction right? You've heard me tell you 25 times, I believe in you, right? So it's not going to rock your confidence to the core because you're absolutely right. Yeah. I have seen type A, go get them, aggressive, assertive personalities crumble 
when they make a big mistake. Right? And, and then they're gone and they can't recover. And so I always would look at myself whenever I would, you know, have a situation where somebody made a big mistake or, you know, felt like we, something we had to address. I would go back and say, how many times did I, did I coach this person up? Did they truly understand the assignment? Did they understand the perspective? What are we trying to achieve here? I think if you're doing that along the way, you know, the end of the year review or the mid-year review, it's not such a, a blow. Right? Hopefully we've talked about all the good things that you're doing. And if I'm doing yes. my job as a leader, I'm leading you down that path and you see success. And that way, when you make a mistake and we say, and again, you've got to be accountable. You know, we need a correction here. Let's focus on this. But one of the things that I always like to do when I, when I would have those conversations with people is that I would let them know, hey, look, we made a mistake here. I know you're better. I know you're capable of more. I know what you bring to this team. Let's right. fix it because you, by fixing this, are going to take us to new heights, right? And, and again, it's the perspective, right? Versus uh, the flip side of that is a manager who says, I can't believe you've done this. How, you know, they put it all in them. I think a good leader brings it back to themselves. I think your success, I play a, a big part of your success or, or your failure. I think you have to accept both. And so to me, a good leader needs to look at both of those. So one thing I noticed early on, and, and I'm going to bring in an example that isn't agriculture, but I, I, think, that, I think that it applies. I, I was a manager and training coordinator at a contact center uh, while I was in college. And I would pull people aside for performance reviews. And in that business, you listen to the calls in the performance review. Mm. And I noticed when I would, I would pull people aside, they were terrified. Right. And, and of I course, they, yeah, I would be too, I, I, because you're about to listen to yourself. Actually, you know, it's not just a, I'm, I'm telling you about your performance. It's let's, let's listen. Yeah. Right. L look at me after we do our podcast, right? I mean, you've heard some of my rants. <laughs> That's a great comparison. So I noticed that. And I also noticed that the fact that people were afraid did not make it a productive meeting because, you know, they were, they were just terrified and no matter how I, I couched the conversation and helped them understand that this was about improvement, they didn't get it. So I instituted positive performance reviews where we would pull good calls. And, and it, over half of what we would do was listening to good calls. And if I had someone with a call that, that needed improvement, we would also listen to a good call and say, look what you did here. That was awesome. Uh, do more of that. So just even on a level of them being able to listen and hear what you're saying, if the atmosphere isn't so negative, they're going to be way more open to uh, improvement. Well, well, you think about it, right? So when you talk about bringing someone in, you can feel the tension in the air. Yes. And as you mentioned, it's not a productive meeting because all they're waiting for is after this meeting, do I have a job or do I not have a job? And anything you might've said in that meeting gets lost. And so what a waste of time, right? And there was actually a really good article just this week, the head coach of the Florida Panthers, he and his coaching staff, something kind of unique, I think, to the NHL. One of the things that they did, they decided to do in their film breakdown. So after the hockey game, you know, they would break it all down. And typically he said, in, you know, in past, it's always been the practice that you find the mistakes that the players made. And you said, look, here's where you were wrong. And what, they, what they did was they flipped it. And instead of showing the wrong moves, they started only showing clips of when they made the right move or the right decision. And what they noticed is, is that they started getting more positive reinforcement and they felt that they were elevating the players' games. And, you know, they, they, they noted that, you know, old school players, right, that, that's just how we coached. Right. But this new generation is a different generation and they don't respond as well to the negativity. The, the and, mental game. I mean, we understand absolutely. so much more about that now. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, the, the positive reinforcement again, and this is, it goes back to people ask, okay, well, what are some ways on a daily basis that I can show support to my team and, and show them that I'm with it? It can be something as simple as walking up and shaking their hand and asking about their day, right? That, that engagement right there shows that, hey, they care about me. They didn't even have to necessarily do anything, right? Good or bad. Just, hey, how's your day? You know, how's your family doing? I know yesterday you said, you said your, your son or daughter had a game. How'd it go? All right, great, cool. How's everything doing? You know, how's your grandmother's health? How are you feeling today? Uh, or, you know, something as simple as you, you saw them doing something right. Take the 30 seconds to walk out and tell an employee, just heads up. I've been watching you. Great job. You're killing it. Glad to have you a part of my team. Those little things from a leader, there's just no way to measure the pos what positive reinforcement can bring to an organization. I, I think when you go to any toxic place, you look and, and you, if you were to interview an employee and ask them you know, how many times they're recognized or called out for doing good versus bad, it would be all negative. And so here's a way that you can get in front of it and acknowledge your people, make them feel like you've got a finger on the pulse, make them feel like you care about things. 
and then you can move, you know, and move, move on in your day. And you've, you've made a lasting, uh, you know, impression for them so that when you do have to call them out or make a correction, right, they're not only focused on the negative. They know that they've been positively reinforced, you know, many times. Yeah. You know, I think about, you know, the fact that all of us as adults on a daily basis, part of what you have to do to move through the day is stifle a lot of emotions. A lot of those emotions that are natural, that, that come to you automatically, uh, but to behave and to get through your day at work, you, you stifle those things. So to have a manager who acknowledges you on some level, um, whether or not you want to admit it or, or acknowledge it, that helps. That helps because it's giving you that little extra security of, okay, I'm a part of something. We're a team. We're, we're all in this together trying to accomplish one thing. And I'll tell you, here's something that you don't hear a lot in school and you're not going to know until you're a manager. Being a manager isn't easy. It's, it's, it's hard because you're going to eat a lot of crap, right? There are many, many times I have just let employees rant, you know, and somebody might say, well, you're the boss, you know, why would you let them do that? Because I know they needed it. And I know that they're going to be more productive and the bottom line is going to improve because I took it. Now, I don't mean just letting someone, you know, be, uh, you know, belligerent to you and, and say, say horrible things. But sometimes if they have to get something off their chest, I used to consider, I used to, you know, consider myself a, a filter almost. Let me be your filter, get it out. And then I know we're all good. And, and as a leader, that's tough sometimes because I know on me personally, you know, I grew up with a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. And if somebody were to talk, you know, to me a certain way, I, my natural reaction would just be to come firing back at them. And, and you, you can't do that. And so that's one of the, the hard parts about leadership is that you're going to deal with a, a whole lot more of the negative side of business than, than the positive side. And that's why it takes a special person because you've got to go above and beyond that. And even in a day when everything went wrong, your employees were against you, you still found a way to make everybody feel like they were, they were safe, they were included, they were appreciated. Yeah. Um, you, this goes back to the very beginning, of the, the first part of this topic. We talked about what are the main reasons people leave, you know, not feeling appreciated, not feeling like there's opportunity. No matter how right. bad your day is as a leader, you still owe it to those people to make them feel like they're something. And if you do, uh, they're going to give it back tenfold. That's great. Well, I, I mean, we've covered a lot of ground on leadership. I have more cans of worms I'd like to open up, but you know, it might, it might take us a little bit too long. <laughs> we might just have to come back to it. Leadership to electric boogaloo or whatever we want to do <laughs> for the next episode. Book it, man. This has been some great stuff. And I, I agree. You know, this is something that we can talk about all day. And certainly as I look back at my career, you know, I've, I've got strong emotions about it. You know, having come from the, you know, all the way from the barges up, you know, to, to where I was in, in management, seen a lot and, and want to share a lot. And, and I, again, I, I think that just having these conversations are so helpful to people because, again, these aren't things that are typically discussed when you get the big promotion. Right. Hey, by the way, you're going to get a raise in pay. You got the company truck. You're moving to the corner suite. Good luck. Nobody ever starts and, and, and stops and talks about, hey, let's talk about your people. Right. And it's so important. And I, I hope people listen and take this to heart, especially those young people that are coming out of school and they're, you know, in our industry, there's a lot of turnover and you may blink and tomorrow find yourself in a, in a leadership position. Right. So take this to heart. Well, and there's a lot more we could get into how and when to delegate, how to manage different kinds of team members, because as we've mentioned, people are people and, you know, one person is not the next person. They, That's right. Know, different motivations, different fears, concerns, and, and that sort of thing. I, we always like to end with uh, some advice, some action for folks who are listening. And I'm thinking about people who are looking ahead at their career. What skills can someone focus on and what traits can they start to develop in themselves to become a good leader for the future? I think, I, I think you nailed it again, Nicholas. I think that looking at yourself is the first step into becoming a leader, right? It's not looking at everyone else. And I think that's, that's a mistake a lot of people make. They think as soon as I become a leader, it's about how I manage everyone else. Take a look in the mirror. How do you handle adversity? How do you communicate with others? How do you give positive messages? Do you only point out the negative? Take a look at yourself today. And even you don't even have to be a leader necessarily yet to start to look at these. You could just look at your everyday interactions at the office. How do you communicate with people? Again, it goes back to the barbecue and the beer test. Are you the kind of person that people want to stand next to and have a conversation with? Are you somebody that they can't stand to be around, right? I think that's a big indicator. And so I think as you start to intentionally look at these things within yourself, the characteristics, do you display, you know, do you roll with adversity? Do you display humility? Are you transparent? Are you truthful? Do people are you, trust you? Are you leading by example? I know yeah, that's exactly. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Those are the kind of things that I think, you know, look inwardly first. And then, of course, you know, there's always kind of management seminars out there. But I'm a big believer that if you pay attention enough in life, life is teaching you everything you need to know. 
you can go all the way back to when you were a child, your first interactions in school or a paper route, anything. Every, all the life's lessons are there. You just got to stop and, and, and look at them and take them in and, and think and break it down. So that, that's a great place to start for me. Dustin, are there any resources, any books uh, that you would recommend on leadership? I know we talked about practical experience being key, but just something that could maybe get people thinking in the right direction. You know, there's so many out there. You know, I, I could list a, a bunch of books here, and, uh, but I, I would think that, you know, re- one of the things that I would do, a lot of companies offer these management courses. Okay. And so if you're giving something like a, a, a Dale, let's say Dale Carnegie, I, I took Dale Carnegie, for example, years ago. If, if they're offered something like that, I, I think you should take it because I think the more we learn about the subject, the more comfortable we become. And also it's going to help us in our everyday life and it's going to make us better leaders. So if there's something out there, not, you know, all of them aren't necessarily worthwhile, but I think even a bad one is a good one because you're having the conversation and it's an experience that you can draw upon. So reach out to your company, ask if they offer any kind of package deals on, you know, taking management courses or leadership courses. And that's a great place to start. Well, and obviously reach out to Dustin Omni Ag because, you know, if you want to talk more about leadership and your career path in agriculture, Dustin's the guy. Uh, he's got the perspective. And I think we just scratched the surface on this topic. I, I, I think that, you know, I, I was anticipating a long episode, but I really think this could be uh, more parts where we get into the weeds a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a great topic. And obviously one you can tell I'm pretty passionate about. I, I think this has been great. We've covered some great material. And to be honest, you're right. We, we've just scratched the surface. And, and, you know, that this is what I'm all about. These are the conversations that I enjoy having. And, you know, when I, when I work with, uh, with organizations, these are some of the, the, the talks that we have. And so anybody that has any questions and just wants to just get the conversation started, just DM me, reach out, and uh, let's have a talk. Awesome. You've been listening to Boot Pit to Boardroom, a podcast about opportunity in agriculture. Follow us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe, give us a five-star rating if you're on Apple Podcasts, and reach out. Uh, You can visit omni-ag.com or OmniAg on LinkedIn. Take care. See ya.